1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. People in this country who've lost their income because of COVID 19 began applying this past week for the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. The program offers up to $500 a week for 16 weeks and is being expanded to include people who are still working part time but who've lost hours due to the pandemic. Fight Back reached out to the Federal Revenue Minister's office to find out about people who are 65 and older and receiving CPP and OAS. If they've been working and lost their jobs, do they get to collect the benefit? MP Francesco Sorbera is Parliamentary Secretary to the Revenue Minister. He joined Libby Zneimer on Monday to answer our questions. If you
2: are collecting CPP, old age security, GIS, uh, and even if you're drawing on your, your, your RSPs and, and, and translating that into RIF, uh, that does not make you ineligible or eligible for the CERB. What makes you eligible for the CERB is if that senior, uh, if that person is, is collecting a CPP and old age security, and in addition to, is also working. So they're working part-time, 20, 30 hours a week, and they've, and they've met that eligibility threshold, of at least being 15 years of age and older, and uh, and having made $5,000 of income for the last 12 months or for 2019, and has been laid off or had their hours effectively reduced to zero, they are then eligible for the CERB. In addition to collecting their uh, their pensions, uh, whether it's CPP or old age security, which they've worked for, which they've earned, and which they've deserved, so. The answer is it depends if the person is working part-time, has met those requirements, yes, they're eligible for the CERB. If the individual is not working uh, part-time or full-time uh, and is collecting CPP and all-age security, then they are not eligible for
3: the CERB. Will it be clawed back against the pension? Do you know that? No. What
2: what, what will happen is when the when all individuals file their taxes at the end of the year, so the CERB in, in the accounting language is there's no deductions at source. So you'll receive from the CRA portal, you'll receive $2,000 for the four-week period. And then depending on how many weeks you collected, if you collected up to the 16, uh, 16 weeks, you can quick, quickly do the math and, and you get to get to the, the number there. Um, what will happen is when you file your taxes at the end of the year, uh, you will then have to claim all the income you've earned and you will pay taxes uh, on, on all of your total income. Um, So, one of the good things is, because we introduced the the increase in the basic personal exemption amount, uh, many seniors who could be or are working or not working will actually benefit from the rise in the basic personal exemption amount. Uh, At the same time, most seniors are in a low tax uh, tax bracket uh, because they aren't working full-time jobs or or, or transition to a part-time job, um, that they'll be able to... uh, not have as much uh, tax back or m- much re- to be returned to the federal government when they file their their, uh, their taxes.
3: Okay, well that's good to know. So uh, you are eligible if you've been working part time, earned uh, a minimum of five thousand dollars, and then it's all going to be taxed, and uh, presumably no, a tax
2: not the full amount, but in whatever tax bracket you fall under your what's called your average your average or marginal tax tax rate would would apply but not to get too technical uh the, the you know whatever tax amount will will be uh will not be at a at, uh, at a significant a significant level especially for seniors that you know, earning CPP, old age security, and and have a part time part time job, say so someone that you know making twenty thousand dollars a year, twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars a year. So that that tax rate, is, the effective tax rate at that level, is very very low. If you if you uh, would, would, you know need some uh, uh, questions answered, uh, some clarification, please please feel free to call, and, I, and I'm going to give that number out in a second. And I, I want to do a shout out to all the CRA employees out there because seven thousand CRA employees answered the call to be able to. Uh, to, to get up to speed and answer questions related to the, to the CERB. So if, if individuals uh, have questions, um, if I'm looking at this correctly, the, the, the 1-800 number is 1-800-959-8281. So it's waiting at 1-800-959-8281.
3: Can the agent help you process that claim on the phone, or, or he can just answer, or she can just answer questions?
2: They can just answer the questions that you may have. Uh, this, the simplest uh, way to doing it is uh, online and by phone. But there is a number I can, I, can, uh, I can leave with you and your listeners that they can call uh, to, to have their application process online. one 800 959 Two zero one nine. They'll be able. They'll need their social insurance number, uh, their postal code, and the period you are applying for. And that is literally it. Uh, That's all they'll need. Everything else, whether they're receiving direct deposit or check, will already be on the system. If they click on direct deposit, they will receive it within three days. Within within three days, and if uh, they're receiving it by check um, by mail, excuse me, the check check via the mail, it'll be within a ten day period.
1: MP Francesco Sorbera, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of National Revenue. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. This crisis is bringing out both the best and the worst in people, and the worst are those scammers trying to cheat and defraud us at this most vulnerable time. Since the Canada Revenue Agency began taking applications for emergency benefits this past week, a lot of the ongoing scamming involves fraudsters pretending to be with the CRA. Jasbir Anand is a financial crime and national fraud leader for financial services at EY. And Jeff Thompson is a senior RCMP intelligence analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. They joined Libby with some important information on Monday. It
4: stays in line with our our current messaging, recognize, reject, report. So, I mean, um, the main thing is any unsolicited calls, email, text messages, or any type of solicitation you get claiming to be a government agency asking for personal and financial information, you really got to take time to to stop and think about these things, never provide the the personal and financial information to unsolicited requests, um, and, and verify everything. So as long as you're going to the credible source, the right phone number, the right website, Uh, and seeking your assistance and information from these spots, um, you know, you'll you'll be okay. But you you do have to remain vigilant and be on the lookout for these scams.
3: Is the key to staying safe that they won't be getting in touch with you? Every communication has to be one that you initiate, correct? Yeah, I mean,
5: it's great to know who you're contacting and ensure that you're speaking with uh, the right party. Um, And using your own source of information, whether that's a phone number or a website, um, is, is much better than using a source that someone has provided you in a link or a text or an email um, and, and more importantly you know anytime you know somebody's forcing you to take action you know uh, and requiring you to do so in a hurry you know that should set off some alarm bells even if you have used a valid source you know that is not a way um, the CRA would the act um, but unfortunately a lot of the criminals have been using you know um, your tactics to try and get you to make payments as quickly as possible.
3: Jeff Thompson, what are some of the other COVID-19 related scams that we're starting to see?
4: So we've seen, you know, the, the big one we've seen are the phishing scams. Um, you know, and there's a whole... R- variety of different scams, you know, whether they're claiming to be the Public Health Agency of Canada, the World Health uh, Organization, uh, and even in some cases, uh, retailers such as Shoppers Drug Mart or President's Choice. Um, you know, phishing schemes, again, you know, emails or texts asking to click on links, whether it's to get your your benefits or your COVID-19 relief or, um, you know, to, to receive products to, to stay healthy, you know. Um, the phishing is the big one. The other one we're, we're seeing a, a little bit of is uh, extortion scams, you know, so where people are calling, uh, you know, saying that, you've you've tested positive and and you know to to get your prescription and uh your results you need to provide personal and financial information or even in the form of an email where it's saying um uh, again this is online line with phishing you know." It, You've been around somebody that's tested positive, you've been in close contact, uh, we, need to, we need you to fill in the attached form. So so again, these, these sort of things where they're claiming to be government agencies and asking you to, to respond uh, urgently and provide personal and fi- financial information are key indicators.
3: Are there scams out there that are pretending to be from a person's bank, Jazz?
5: Yeah, definitely. And, and, gotta remember, these phishing scams don't only come via email. You know, they could send you a text message. They could send you an IVR response. Um, And the ones that we're seeing from the banks are really text messages that you'll see saying, you know, this is your bank. Please click on this link or contact us at this number, which again is often not the correct number. Um, It may look like it's got the right number on the link, as in when you check the 1 800 number, it matches your card. But in actual fact, like you said, if you hover over it, you'll see it's a different number. Um, But the best response is not to click on links in text uh, or in emails, uh, whether they're from a bank or Netflix or or the government, you know, is to go back to the original source. So, you know, using the phone number on the back of your card is a great way to ensure you contact your bank directly to verify information Um, and using, you know, legitimate websites. Um, to verify the authenticity of any numbers or information you receive uh, is another good way to, to protect yourself before clicking on links or sharing information. In some cases, though, with advanced threats, they don't even have to ask you for information. Just clicking on that link can compromise your device, your browser, and that can be used to, you know, uh, malware to steal information from you as well. So. You know, clicking is bad enough. You know, you don't actually have to even put in information in some cases.
4: Recognize, reject, report. Recognize the fraudsters are using internet, email, telephone to to try and scam you, text messaging. Uh, reject, you know, stop and think about stuff. Don't react. Don't provide personal financial information. And report. Report to your local police if you're, if you're a victim of fraud and visit the Anti-Fraud Center website at www.antifraudcenter.ca.
1: Jeff Thompson, Senior RCMP Intelligence Analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, and Jasbir Anand, a Financial Crime and National Fraud Leader for Financial Services at EY. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We learned on Monday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson had been admitted to intensive care at a London hospital with COVID-19. Word was Johnson was on oxygen, but not on a ventilator. While Boris Johnson has suffered a serious case of COVID-19, it brings home the point to other world leaders it could also happen to them. We also witnessed a resolved drama involving U.S. President Donald Trump and Minnesota-based 3M, who ended up doing a deal which would continue to see medical masks sent to Canada. Trump had originally asked 3M to only provide N95 masks for America. To talk about both of these issues, Libby Snymer was joined by members of our Tuesday strategy panel, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road.
6: It shows and it tells how real this is, and not, not that we didn't know that already, but when, when a G7 leader, Uh, is felled by it and is hospitalized uh, to a point it does send shockwaves to citizens in other countries um, but also to leaders to say you know the vulnerability and and this does not have any potential barriers for anybody. So when, you know, when President Trump is out there with uh, six or seven people on a stage on a regular basis, um, you know, our prime minister has has been isolated and and is, is, you know, is obviously taking precautions. Uh, The premier of the province, along with, you know, three or four or five of his cabinet ministers, it it just shows you, and it it makes you want to, you know, just be cautious about, um, you know, any other, you know, G7 leader getting, or any leader quite frankly, getting this, because at a time like this, we need our leaders to be healthy, strong, and and present on a daily basis.
7: Charles? I suppose if there is a silver lining in all this, it is just such a wake-up call for Britons and for for anyone that this this is not to be taken lightly. I mean, uh, Boris Johnson was first diagnosed 10 days ago and it was really only yesterday afternoon that he suffered a turn for the worst. And his medical team decided that uh, hospitalization and intensive care was the way to go. And I'm sure they wouldn't have uh, opted for intensive care unless they thought there was very good reason that uh, he needed to have a ventilator close at hand and, and ready to go if it came
3: to that.
8: Karen, what do you take from that? You know, in Germany, they do go around um, for cases of that have tested positive on the 10-day mark because that's where the turning point is. So... It it, it appears as if this is affecting Boris Johnson in a way that the 10-day turning point was where he needed to be hospitalised. And you know, I think that there is a combination of um, making sure that he's, you know, getting the care that he needs, and whether to downplay it or not. I I don't think it does uh, Britain any good to downplay a situation. And uh, so I I, I think that the, the situation is what it is, and that he's in hospital and he's he's got. COVID-19 and he's managing the disease in, in a way that many others are across Britain and in Canada who've, who rec- who also have contracted it. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's a wake up call. I think that there has been an aggressive response to the pandemic that, um, all countries know the seriousness of it. So I, I think, you know, even our prime minister, you know, his wife contracted it. So he'd been living with the reality of it, um, personally. So, um, you know, I think that it certainly is um, something that, you know, again, you know, it speaks to the need to continue to, to be doing all that we can do to get it under control and uh, just highlights that everyone is vulnerable.
3: Okay, let's uh, move right along to the saga of the masks and Donald Trump. Let's start with Charles again. Uh, Donald Trump and the masks
7: it points to, uh, you know, an issue of real concern in Ontario, which is, you know, a relative shortage of uh, personal protective equipment. And, you know, we've come a long way from um, Doug Ford's announcement a couple weeks ago about how Ontario was going to be, you know, a manufacturing powerhouse supplying much-needed equipment to the rest of Canada to finding out yesterday that we're a week away from running out of supplies. Um, You know, that, that should obviously cause a lot of us concerned. And unfortunately, we still lag behind in testing. Ontario on a per capita basis has tested the fewest number of people among all the provinces. And, you know, obviously testing, testing, testing is a a mantra in terms of how you identify where the coronavirus is and and, and isolate it accordingly. And it feels that um, that has been a problem. The good news is that they are ramping up. In Ontario, that um, at the moment we're doing 13,000 tests a day, and that number is expected to rise to uh, 20 to 30,000 by the end of April. So that's good news,
8: Karen. That's the one thing that Ontario needs to ramp up and ramp up really quickly um, in order to get a handle on on you know where our vulnerabilities are, uh, because you know there's further talk about clamping down even further on uh, on the public and on our you know social distancing and and but you know that alone is not going to help us get ahead of this virus that we need to we need to know where in the, in in the province are, the concerns are and right now we we just don't know and uh, so the testing is is a key component to countries' abilities to to, to to bring to flatten the curve and to to bring the virus to a point where they can start to think about, okay, how do we now start opening up our economies again? It's good that Ontario is putting its mind to that because that's exactly where we need to be.
1: That was Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and John Capabianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard Highroad. Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. For Christians and Jews, this is one of the most important and joyous holiday weeks of the year. Passover began at sundown on Wednesday. Good Friday was yesterday and Easter Sunday is tomorrow. It's a time we normally gather with our communities and our families to worship and celebrate and eat. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, things are different this year as these celebrations are largely virtual. Joining Libby to discuss this past Tuesday, Father Michael McGordy, pastor of St. Peter's Catholic Church in Toronto, and Rabbi Michael Dolgan, spiritual leader of Temple Sinai Congregation of Toronto.
9: I think it's important to say it out loud uh, that uh, technology is wonderful and a distant second best to being with the people that we love. I'm, I'm, we'll talk about the holiday, but I'm also hopeful that people can hold on to that beyond just the few months uh, or many that this might last in the holidays uh, to remember the kind of uh, importance that we should place on the opportunity to be together, to mourn together, to celebrate together.
3: Uh, Father McGorty, I mean, uh, Catholic Church is actually a pioneer at doing virtual masses and stuff. But again, I'm, I'm assuming that your parishioners are not happy that they can't come to church. Good Friday is, is your holiest day of the year, and Easter Sunday is, you know, fun.
10: Yes, and I would echo the words of uh, Rabbi Dolgan. You know, it's a time when our communities love to come together. Part of the Jewish-Christian tradition is that we are a people of community, and that's when we sense the most uh, that we are present and and celebrating the mysteries of our faiths. But at the same time, in our history, there have been reasons why some people have not been able to come home because of business or war or the different things that have separated us. And as you say, the virtual celebration really is uh, key, that we're, we're not forgetting the celebration, We're making sure that we celebrate, but this is a very difficult time when we are trying to find a new way of doing it. So broadcasting Masses, having uh, spiritual resources for the many people who wish to mark these very important days in our faith life, are so important and so necessary, but we also need to be bear in mind the health and the well-being of those members of our communities whom we love and care for so much.
3: What are the kinds of things you're hearing from your parishioners? Uh, are they on board with doing this uh, virtually? Uh, is it deepening loneliness for some of them, father? For some, it is.
10: Uh, some do recognize the importance of the virtual celebration. It's actually surprising how many of my parishioners have already kind of made that shift. Those who are in their 80s and 90s sometimes can't get out in the winter, and so they know where the TV mass is. They say they tune into it every uh, morning. It's sometimes for some of the younger people, the healthier ones, that this is a new adjustment and, and a new reality. But they also know that this is something we are doing for the good of the community, that uh, the health and the safety of of all of our loved ones is really why we're keeping apart in order that we might be together next year or whenever this situation passes. We all want to be together, and I think that's ultimately the reason why we're keeping apart this year in the face of this danger.
3: Uh, Rabbi Dolgan, I think that uh, most uh, branches of Judaism have okayed Zoom for this year, but but not all of them. Am I right?
9: Uh, You're correct, that even some... Um, uh, lenient orthodox authorities, uh, especially 14 Sephardic rabbis in Israel, have made the unprecedented step of allowing people to use technology to connect on the night of the Seder, on the first night of Passover. I think that speaks to the the power that this night has uh, in the Jewish community, uh, that, uh, in fact, Uh, whatever level of observance, people are doing everything they can to, on the one hand, respect the life and death importance of social distancing, and on the second hand, finding uh, some way to connect. And uh, as uh, what you mentioned earlier, I I certainly am even hearing from people that they're planning to do something much more limited this year, um, that they find it difficult to um, think about carrying out the entire night of the first night Seder service online when so much of it is about being together. And on the one hand, we're trying to support people in that. Uh, Our senior cantor Charles Osborne, and I on the second night of Passover, Thursday night at 630, are, um, are live streaming a second Seder. Uh, for mm-hmm. people to make sure people are not isolated, that they're not without the opportunity to celebrate and connect something that where we expect participation from a number of different countries and a number of different places. At the same time, um, we're trying to do everything we can because, uh, it is uh, an emotional loss for people that people are on board for to avoid the more frightening physical loss that could result otherwise.
1: Rabbi Michael Dolgan, spiritual leader of Temple Sinai Congregation of Toronto, and Father Michael McGorty, pastor of St. Peter's Catholic Church in Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and and your reaction to them on the phones.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Jan in Guelph, who phoned to say now is the time for solidarity and not criticism when it comes to our political leaders. I do resent
8: the people who are criticizing our leaders who are trying to do their very best. It's their first time around and uh, they're doing their best. And all I can say to the people who are criticizing them is, uh, I wish you could ask the leaders to step aside and you take their place and hope that nobody criticizes you.
1: Or if you have a comment, email us at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fightback.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Neimer.